All right, would you open God's precious holy word to 1 Chronicles 10. We are reminded in both testaments at various points in time that everything including the reign of kings and the rise and fall of nations and kingdoms are under the absolute divine and sovereign direction of God. It's no different here. I've told you many times that the word, and we, 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 we took this out of uh, Deuteronomy. The world moves according to the way God at any point in time is dealing with Israel. At last, tonight and then certainly next, next time in 1 Chronicles 11, we will be meshing 2 Samuel with 1 Chronicles in the, in the as complete as the Bible gives it to us, story of the reign of Saul, of, of David. Tonight, the chronicler gives a brief summary of the end of Saul's reign and when we saw this in 1 Samuel, we, we would have seen that it was a much more expansive account of Saul's reign and, and uh, his being the king in Israel. Now, he was the people's choice. God is always making a point to his people. So here... We go to that, and we, we, this is where we left off, really, in uh, 1 Samuel at the end of the book. The defeat of Saul. Now, Israel, well, let's just read it. And the Philistines fought with Israel, and the men of Israel fled from before the Philistines. They fell slain on Mount Gilboa. The Bible said back in 1 Samuel that Saul had war with the Philistines his entire reign. It should be noted that they had the superior forces and they had the superior weapons. So they, they generally always held the upper hand except on occasion where Saul was granted a victory. The best that could be said about Saul is that in a way he held the Philistines in check in some ways, not in all ways. For example, the Philistines, we, and we get all this from 1 Samuel, the Philistines had built garrisons deep into Israel. 
So that shows a weakness on Israel's part that they would allow military posts uh, to be all around their, their nation. Also, we, le- we learned in 1 Samuel that the Philistines would not allow any workers of metal into Israel. Israel didn't have iron weapons, but the Philistines did, and that was a tremendous advantage for warfare in those days. So the Philistines had that kind of power. Going into this big war with the Philistines, nobody really would have given Israel much of a chance. The times that Saul would have done well and his army against the Philistines were just on occasions where he would have, he would have caught the Philistines, a, a company or a garrison or whatever, separated from the main army. But here, this is the big deal. They're all coming against Israel. So the Philistines fought with Israel. The men of Israel fought from before the Philistines and they, they fell slain on Mount Gilboa. And the Philistines pursued closely after Saul and his sons, and the Philistines smote Jonathan and Abinadab and Malchishua, the sons of Saul. The battle bore heavily on Saul, and the archers discussed. Now, the, the Hebrew phraseology is interest, interesting here, but generally, it probably is best translated the archers, having discovered him, hit him with arrows. And he was wounded having been terrified of the archers. So that's probably the best expanded translation of Saul. So at this point, his sons are dead. His armies, his army is falling everywhere. And the Philistine archers would have had iron tips iron arrows on their, uh, the shaft. And those arrows would generally pierce the armor of the Israelites, including their, their shields. So this is probably why the phraseology implies that He was terrified and wounded. In his terror, he was wounded. He was afraid of those arrows falling everywhere from the sky. Already you get an idea that the Philistines are really pounding Israel. So we keep going here. And Saul said to his weapon bearer, draw your sword and pierce me with it, lest these uncircumcised ones come upon me and make a mockery of me. But his weapon bearer was unwilling for he feared greatly. And Saul took the sword and fell on it. His weapon bearer saw that Saul had died and he too fell upon the sword and died. And Saul and his three sons died and his entire household together died. That is as they were fighting. Now we find out later that uh, 
there is, there is a, a survivor of, of the household of Saul and David takes him in, but that's an that's a interesting uh, account for another time. And all the men of Israel who were in the valley saw that they fled and that Saul and his sons were dead or had died and they abandoned their cities and fled and the Philistines came and settled in those cities. When you put this together with the account in 2 Samuel and you identify the place where the battle took place, it, it's, it's strange because generally they fought in other places and on higher ground. But the reason, apparently one of the reasons that the Philistines came so fierce against Israel is that the place where they were fighting was a place where major trade routes converged. So a lot of, a lot of money and economy, goods and so forth, went through that area. And the Philistines fully intended to take complete and absolute control of that area. Probably one of the reasons why the, the Bible teaches us here that they rooted out the Israelites from those cities and they took the cities over themselves. So that the Philistines would be the only ones settled in the area and they were the ones who could uh, extract the fees and, and the taxes and so forth from the, those who would move caravans through these trade routes. The Philistines completely and absolutely overwhelmed Israel. You also saw that uh, earlier that, uh, that the Philistines were, were heavily after Saul. They were, they, verse uh, two, pursued closely after Saul and his sons. They were, they were investing all that they were as a nation, as an army, into the destruction of Israel as Israel stood in that day. That, of course, would have included the annihilation of the household of Saul. And that's what happened. And so now the Philistines control the major trade routes that go through there. Uh, and Israel is once again removed from being a nation. They don't have a king anymore. And they've lost a great portion of their economy. And so they're, 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 they're now an impoverished has been as a nation. I'm saying all that to let you know how desperate the people were, the, the, the nation of Israel, the, the tribes, the nation of Israel, how desperate they were with the death of Saul and the victory of the Philistines. They were practically enslaved to the Philistines. But remember, David is still out there with an army. Can't forget that. 
There is there is a uh, practice, a dishonorable practice that the Philistines have handed down even to the people who inhabit that place today and are still enemies of Israel and how they treat people who are opposed to them, especially Jews and Christians. They're very dishonorable. Well, let's look at it. It came about on the morrow that the Philistines came to strip the slain. They found Saul and his sons lying on Mount Gilboa. They stripped him, cut off his head. You ever seen anybody these days cut off somebody's head? And his weapons. And they sent throughout the land of the Philistines all around to bring the news to the priests of their idols and to their people. And they deposited his weapons in the temple of their gods and his skull they impaled in the temple of Dagon. Let me stop there. This was to show the Philistines, the Philistine, the victorious army of the Philistines was to show the rest of their people who, who worshiped Dagon. It was, it was their purpose to show that their God Dagon was stronger than Israel's God Yahweh. This was the practice, this was the practice of religious pagans in that day. Now you don't see Israel Dishonoring the enemy. Now they'll take, they'll take captives. They'll take booty. They'll they'll burn their fields. They'll do other things to make sure that they don't have to fight this war again. But you don't you don't find this kind of uh, of of debauchery against uh, humanity. So. Saul's skull is on a stick in the temple of Dagon along with his weapons. Now, maybe you remember back in 1 Samuel how the Philistines had written to the people of Jabesh Gilead and, and to the men. They said, we're going to come wipe you out. I'm going to paraphrase. And so they said, and we're going to take everything that's yours. Well, there was no way that Jebush Gilead could fight the Philistines. Saul was king at that time. So they sent a note to the Philistines. Well, just tell us what we need to pay you. We'll pay you off. The Philistines wrote back and said, well, you know, rip off your ear, you know, to Take a part of your head off and send it to me. Well, they knew that that was ridiculous. And so the men of Jabesh Gilead appealed to Saul. Now, when you read the greater context of the history of this thing, you will find 
Saul's of the tribe of Benjamin, and you will find back in their history that Benjamin also almost disappeared as a tribe. And they had done something, and the other tribes came against them, and they were down to, I, I have to think here, they were down to something like 200 men. That's all, there were, all the men that were left, something like that, of the Benjamites. And so those of Kadesh Barnea, when nobody else really would because what the Benjamites had been accused of was just a terrible thing. But uh, those of 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 uh, of of Jabesh Gilead, sorry, uh, Jabesh Gilead, were uh, willing to give their their virgin daughters to these two hundred men, so that the tribe of Benjamin would be revived again. And then when you read this and study it out, you'll realize that in all likelihood. Saul's mother and grandmother quite likely were living in this place, uh, Jebus Gilead. So he came in and uh, staved off the, the Philistine attack and saved really his kinsmen, his people, if you look at it clearly and, and deeply. So all the valiant men of those people arose and carried off Saul's body. I'm sorry, the valiant men of the army. His sons brought them to Jabesh and they buried their bones beneath the oak in Jabesh and they fasted seven days. Well, the, the honorable thing is what those of Jabesh Gilead sought to do to make things right. So they were, they were courageous and they did what they had to do to bring back the body of Saul, the bodies of his sons. Saul at one time and his sons at great risk spared them of a terrible defeat and now they have a, a warm heart toward the memory of Saul. But the storyline here is the high cost of Saul's unfaithfulness and his disobedience. He disregarded the prophet. He disregarded the word of God. He would not do the right thing. Even though Yahweh had said that David would be king and the prophet anointed David as king, Saul rejected it and worked very hard to maintain his reign and to, to build his household as, as king, as ruler of Israel, even to the point of seeking to kill David, the one whom he knew was the choice of Yahweh to be king. So the covenant meant nothing to him. God established a covenant with David. The covenant meant nothing to him. The word of God meant nothing to him. He was all about Saul and nothing else. And that's how it all came to be there 
on the battlefield. Saul died because of the treachery that he had committed against Yahweh. Now, if you read a history book, they'll say, well, man, the Philistines had iron weapons and they had superior numbers and all that. The Philistines were prepared in that way by the overruling power of God. God's purpose among the nations, of course, is to redeem his own through the sacrifice of his son that none would be lost that are his. And finally, that God the Son, the only begotten, would be the King of kings forever over all nations into the ages of the ages, even in a new age of a new heaven and a new earth. Saul fought that. It was just a matter of time before Saul would be defeated. And, and look at the cost. At this moment, Israel is at the mercy of the Philistines. They're impoverished. They have really nothing uh, to claim as their own, even though this is the land, the land that God had given them. He had committed treachery against Yahweh and he died concerning the word of Yahweh that he did not keep. And also because he had inquired of the dead spirit. You remember he went to the witch of Endor and called up a ghost. And he did not, instead of going to Yahweh, he went to a witch. And he did not inquire of Yahweh. And Yahweh slew him. Now somebody might think, well, it was all that bunch of arrows that darkened the sky and probably 50 or 60 of those arrows found Saul. Yahweh killed Saul using whatever means he chose to accomplish it because of his treachery that he committed against Yahweh, because he did not keep or did not guard, did not believe, did not cherish the word of God. Not only that, but he, he entered into the realm of darkness, witchcraft, to get an answer when he could have inquired of Yahweh. So he chose darkness over light. And he blasphemed the God of heaven by the way he treated the covenant and the word of God. And so God slew him and transferred the kingdom to David, the son of Jesse. Now that's what God said was going to happen all along. And Saul spent many years, not just in denial, but fighting it. He fought against God. So he came to a miserable end. His household collapsed and would not ever be considered as a household 
to be a royal household could never ever rule again in Israel. And because of all of that, it was Yahweh who transferred the kingdom to David, the son of Jesse. Now, there are seven years, we'll study about this. There are seven years that are in contention because when David finally rises to be king, most of the tribes don't accept him because the commander of Saul's armies named Ishbael as king. So for seven years, there was conflict and contention. And then finally, at the end of those seven years, all of the tribes accepted David as king. And he reigned 33 years over all of the tribes. He reigned for seven years over Judah. Now understand this as well. Judah, the tribe Judah by itself was larger than all the other tribes put together. So he had a, he had a substantial kingdom just in Judah. But then the rest of them come on board and you have to think of all of the things that were said and the conspiracies and and the generals of Saul who didn't want to lose what little power they thought they had and all this kind of stuff. But it didn't matter. All things were working together to finally transfer the kingdom to David, the son of Jesse. So all, now let's pause and reflect about First Chronicles from chapter one up to here. We've studied Genealogies that have brought us from Adam to the kingdom where David will reign as king according to the word of God. God had already said that, had already established it as a fact. And all of the people who had gone before, and we just saw a smattering of the genealogy. I mean, there were there were other families that weren't included. They were just households had representatives. So, you know, millions upon millions of people over the whole span of time in every whit unwittingly working to accomplish the purpose of God. And that reality hasn't changed. It's the way it is today. You, you, you can read things. I've, I've read with interest, for example, the, the contention that is caused all over the world, not just in the United States, with regard to uh, restrictions about COVID-19 and all the stuff that goes with it. And you go over to Revelation 18 
And in the general context, it talks about the fall of Babylon at the end of the age. And it says, the whole world had been deceived by the sorcery of Babylon. The Greek word is pharmakeia. Now we're not in the tribulation. But it, 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 it begs the thought, in my opinion, of how in the dark world of the tribulation, people can be manipulated into anything in a dark age that is yet to come. And that's because, that's because God in those tribulation people, except for the tribulation saints, God will bring them into horrible judgment. And this is the plan of God. This is the purpose of God where evil finally reaches its apex. They, they, they would not repent. They would not repent. They would not repent. And in studying Deuteronomy 18, I'm sorry, Revelation 18, it says in there that all of the activity of earth was to enrich the merchants of the earth. That's what it says. You can read it. Revelation 18. The part that I'm talking about starts down around verse 21 or so. But you and I as believers calmly weigh the events of the world. People are rioting. I talked about this the other night. They're rioting in Riots all over in nations. People going crazy. It's going to, it'll get worse, especially in the tribulation. I told you that that's the, that's the breaking of the second seal. When the whole world goes into a civil conflict, all the people just madly engaging each other in deathly civil war. Until the one who is revealed in the first seal that's broken does what he does in the breaking of the third seal to establish this order under the reign or rule of the Antichrist. Now, that's at the end of the age. Just go backward in time. It's always been that way. It seems sometimes that the events of the world are extraordinarily complicated. And they are. There's no doubt about that. And you don't know who to believe. Man, I've, I've read reports recently about how, um, I don't know how far to go with this, but how the illegal immigrants it has been noted of all the pictures that have been made, many of them are not, they're more men than women and children. 
And most of these men are of military age and they are not originally from Central America. They're from somewhere else. So I was reading a report on the questions being asked, who are these people? What are they doing? Tens of thousands of them being scattered all across. And I read about the impending collapse of the economy and, and uh, how that these things I don't know about. I just read them. I don't, you know, about how NATO has established secret bases in the United States. I don't know. I don't know about all that stuff. But I do know that ultimately in the book of the Revelation, the globalists will win and the final separation of God's people from the earth dwellers, I call them, will be made. And then the Lord comes back in power and glory. What happens here, Yahweh killed Saul and transferred the kingdom to David. Now there's not anything left of a kingdom when David takes it over. Which as we continue and we focus after tonight in 2 Samuel and in the rest of 1 Chronicles, we focus on David. The greatness of David. He had the spirit of Yahweh. The spirit of God can take just one man and do anything that he wants to do. But as students of the word, we calmly watch the purpose of God being worked out. Even in my life and in your life. How do I know that? Because of those genealogies that I read since First Chronicles chapter 1. Most of those people we never heard of before or since. But God had a purpose for them. It's leading to here and then it leads to David. It leads to the throne of David. It leads to the son of David. It leads to the kingdom of God. And ultimately and finally the new heaven and the new earth. And God is never out of control. Not in anything. But I think as, as believers, we should hold the Bible in one hand and it used to be the newspaper. I guess it's the internet now on the other hand. I don't know. Uh, and everything that you see, whatever part of it is true, you can get the principle, the underlying philosophy of where the world is and where it's headed by those who are in authority. You can see what their mindset is and what their heart is. And it, it leads to this awful time of darkness until the coming of the Lord, the millennial kingdom and the establishment, the eternal kingdom. And you and I calmly rest in our Sabbath who is Christ, who is in absolute control of everything. It may seem like 
complex situations. And it is. Because God has brought it about such that we can't figure it out. It's too difficult. How, how deep and difficult are the divisions and the issues in our own nation today, unlike at any other time? We ask the question, how can we ever be healed? How can we ever come together as a nation again? How can it ever happen? Well, it might not. But however it works itself out, this is, I used to sing a song when I was a kid, this is my father's world. And it doesn't belong to Satan, it doesn't belong to the globalists, it doesn't belong, it belongs to God. And the only begotten son of God is the absolute king of kings and lord of lords and this is one little case across the pages of history where God is working out. If you read a, if you read a, I don't know, a history book of this region, of this time, and it won't read like that. It'll talk about the leaders, the generals, and all the things that happened, but it won't tell you that Yahweh directed and determined the battle for the purpose of transferring the kingdom to, to David, the one with whom he entered into a covenant, who is the progenitor of the Christ. God won't tell you that. But we know it's that way. All right, I'll stop there. And we'll have our prayer time.